Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have two songs before the sermon and then two songs after the sermon. So let's sing and give glory to our God.
my life and let it be yours. Amen. Sing this out, brothers and sisters. You know this song well. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Your 
goodness of God as we come to this time of prayer. Man, let me read to us a passage. This comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you this morning as this uh, holy priesthood that we are not by our own efforts, but only by what you have done for us on the cross. You have made us into a priesthood. You enable us to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We thank you, Lord, because you are the one who builds your church And as we read through the scriptures, we read about the the lives and the ministries of the prophets, of the apostles, and even in the ministry of Jesus Christ, that although these individuals and many others like them were heralds of the words of God, that they would also uh, suffer persecution for being heralds. But we thank you, Lord, because even to this day, You continue to build your church. And we have the promise from scriptures that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. We pray that you would continue to build your church, to grow your church. Help us to continue to present to you spiritual offerings and sacrifices that may be pleasing to God. We pray specifically for those who are going through challenging seasons in their life, those who may be suffering, those who may be sick. Lord, we pray that you would keep them and help them to persevere. That these challenges and these situations and these, even these forms of suffering would not be a, a means to cause them to stumble, and much less, Lord, a means by which they would make shipwreck of their faith but that you would strengthen your people, that you would help them to hold on and to press into Jesus Christ. We pray that you would sustain them and help them and strengthen them and graciously provide for them. Father, we pray for many of our brothers and sisters around the globe who are Christians in secret because of the fear of their lives, because of the intensity of persecution in their context, Lord, from neighbors, from friends, and even family members. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your children wherever they may be. We pray that you would sustain them. 
Lord, we pray that you would connect them to brothers and sisters so that they may not suffer alone, but that they may find the help that they need through the encouragement of your word, through the encouragement of brothers and sisters to continue to to hang on and be strengthened. We pray that your spirit would continue to minister to them and help them and comfort them and speak to them the truths of your scriptures, including the promises of your word. Father, we pray for the the church at Spruce Creek. We pray for the saints who gather there on a weekly basis, whether that's in person or via, via live stream. Father, we pray that you would encourage the saints. We pray that you would build them up and encourage them. We pray that they may continue to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God that come not from their works, but that they would do so through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for an incredible and a great miraculous salvation, Lord, in our country. Father, we pray that despite all the challenges, all the anger and all the animosity and even in light of the pandemic, that these, as challenging as they may be to the gospel, that they may not be an impediment to the spread of the gospel. Father, we pray for a glorious salvation, Lord. You are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So we pray that you would save people. We pray that you would soften hearts, that you would draw people to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray for a conviction of sin so that they may run to Jesus, so they may be forgiven of their sins. So we pray, we plead, God, we beg that you would provide an incredible salvation. Lord, we pray for we pray for engineers. Father, we pray that you would help them as they as they work meticulously in, in their in their lines of duty. We pray that you would sustain them, give them the, the mind that they need to be able to work with precision. We pray that you would sustain them. We pray for for those who are gospel witnesses, we pray that you would give them boldness and provide opportunities to, to preach the gospel in their context, to co-workers, to managers, to bosses. You, we pray that you would help your children to be a light in their, in, their, in their context. Father, we thank you for making us into a holy priesthood in a spiritual house. And as priests who reside in your spiritual house, we pray to you the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you would, please turn to the Gospel of John. John 15, verse 18. And we will read down to 16, verse 4.
John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known me nor my father. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you may help us as we come to your scriptures. May we have the posture of a humble servant, that we may receive your food with gladness, and that we may be enabled by your spirit to call what you call us to do in light of what you teach us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. kind of an interesting twist. Last week, we went through John 15, or at least the first half of John 15. And in that passage, right, the, Jesus stresses the importance of abiding in him, so that if you abide in him, you may bear fruit. And how do you abide in Jesus? By keeping his commandments. And by keeping his commandments, that is how we love the Lord Jesus. And it tells us that if we do these things, that we, may, we will have joy so that we come to the second half of John 15, and he begins to talk about persecution and hatred from the world. Kind of a, two very, very contradictory statements, it sounds like. And Jesus is not trying to contradict himself or trying to sound paradoxical, but he is telling us, I think, in part, he's telling us that, that the life, if your aim in life is to pursue uh, entertainment and pleasure, if your aim in life is to uh, avoid as many challenging things as possible and to live a life of ease and comfort, not that those things are bad, but if that is the aim of your life, well, then you're going to have a hard time wrestling with the idea or with the topic of persecution. And that joy doesn't come from having a life of ease and comfort and pleasure, but joy comes from abiding in the vine who is Jesus Christ. But even as we abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ, that there will be things in life, the things in the world that will try to pull you away from abiding in the vine. 
And there are several different reasons why followers of Jesus Christ may be hated by the world. And Jesus lists some of those reasons. But one of the most significant reasons why Christians are hated by the world and persecuted by the world is because of a most terrible ignorance. Jesus says a servant is not greater than his master. And that certainly means that the servant is not greater than the master in terms of prestige and status and honor and reputation or authority. But however, that's not what Jesus means here. What Jesus means is that if the master would be terribly treated by the world, then the servants who follow the master should not expect a better treatment. Listen to the the if statements that Jesus makes in this passage. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, which you're not, then the world will love you. If they persecuted me, then you too will be persecuted. If they kept my word, then they'll keep yours. Now we know that reading in the life of Jesus, that many people did not keep Jesus' words, and so therefore we should not expect that people will keep our words if our words are the same as Jesus' words. So if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. These, these statements are not, they're intended to tell us that there's a very high, high probability that if Jesus was so ill-treated by the world, then so will his followers. And for many Christians around the globe, this is, isn't just a possibility or even a high probability, but it is a certainty. Those who bear the name of the master, who is Jesus Christ, who follow in his footsteps, who proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, can expect that they will be hated and persecuted by the world. Now, it may not be to the same degree that the apostles or, or that even Jesus experienced, but hated nonetheless. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul tells us, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Acts 14, 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, the apostle, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas and Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus had just said earlier in the first half of John chapter 15 that his disciples should, one, should love one another, and that is how they would prove that they are, in fact, his disciples. And that they should bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. But to prove that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ is at the same time laying you open to be hatred and persecuted by the world. Right, the Christian life Right, as I'm sure you know, is not an easy life. Right? If your aim in life is to live a life of ease and comfort and relative peace, right, then the Christian life is not for you. Right? If that was my aim in life, then the last thing I would be in life as a pastor. I would probably be 
be in the park selling ice cream for a living if I wanted to live comfortably and be liked by most people in the world. Not that selling ice cream is a bad thing. Wait, but we as Christians are not after a life of ease. Right? We're after an imperishable wreath, an unfading crown of glory that is given only to those who run and endure and finish the race. Hated for following Jesus. Hated for bearing the name of Jesus. Hated because we are not of the world anymore. But there's also a truth behind the truth of such hatred. Verse 21. Jesus says, All these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. So behind the hatred and persecution of Christ and all of his followers, is not only that they are, that both are not out of the world, so they no longer are identified with the world, but there's also a lack of knowledge. If they knew God, that they would not be persecuting God's people and hating God's people. But they do not realize that to oppose, to slander, to hate, to ridicule, And even to persecute God's people is to be persecuting and opposing and raging against God himself. In Acts chapter 5, verse 33, when they heard this, when the religious teachers heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill the disciples, the apostles of Jesus. But a Pharisee, and might I also add a wise man, A Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Right, and those words still stand true today. Because if these men, these early apostles, were just proclaiming a man-centered idea or ideology, it would have come to nothing. But the fact that we still stand today on the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints proves that this is a message from God. And that the church cannot be overthrown by the world. John Calvin says that it is a monstrous thing for the world to rage against its own destruction. Christ's followers carry the message of the gospel, the message of hope, the message of eternal life. The means by which man can be saved from his own sins and the terrible wrath and judgment of God because of his very sins. And so to shut that message up through persecution or even just to turn a deaf ear to that message is for a person to take a direct role in their own demise. 
but lest we be puffed up because we have this knowledge, we instead have to be grateful. Right? We've been chosen out of the world, not because of anything that we have done, not because God saw anything in us worthy of saving, but because of his loving kindness, he chose us and took us out of the world so that not only we would know this this salvific knowledge, but also have this salvific experience through Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, we too might have become haters and persecutors of God's people. Right, so then we don't become arrogant, but instead we're humbled and we rejoice that we've been taken out of the world and been given this message to proclaim on behalf of Jesus Christ. And this is how we continue to stand firm in the, means in the face of opposition. But even if we are hated, we can be encouraged to know that we are also sealed by the truth. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. So here Jesus is quoting Psalm 35. And in Psalm 35, the psalmist recounts how he is suffering persecution on behalf of those who have made themselves enemies of God's king for no apparent reason. Right, there are Many soldiers, few captains, fewer colonels, but only one commander-in-chief. The higher one climbs up the ladder, the more solitary that his position becomes. The psalmist, being a king, holds a most solitary position. And some people will hate that person just simply because of the position that they're in. For no other apparent reason. Iago is a vicious character in Shakespeare's play Othello. And Iago makes this striking statement in the play where he says, I am not what I am. Now, those words sound familiar to you. They sound familiar to you because they're very similar to the very words that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush where he says, I am who I am. When Iago says, I am not what I am, it's intended to communicate that he is a devilish character. That even though he is, he, by his own perspective, he's an honorable man of good reputation. In fact, he is actually a vicious person, a liar, mischievous, and manipulator, and even murderous, and hates Othello for no apparent reason. There are certain people in the world who will hate others just simply because of the position that they're in. And there are people in the world who will hate others just simply because they are a good and honorable person. There was no evil and no malice in Christ that he should be hated by the world. And even when he, even in everything that he said and did, even though it incited anger in some people. It was nothing to warrant such animosity that people would desire his death. 
even when he was questioned by Pilate, he determined that Jesus had said or done nothing worthy of receiving a death sentence. And even when he spoke of sin and judgment, where he intended to convict the world of sin, but he did not intend to leave people there in their sin, but he intended to communicate to them a means of salvation from their sin. One must be convicted of sin if he is to be saved from sin. If Jesus had not come and intended to convict people of sin, would people be guilty of any sin? Right? Is that what Jesus is talking about, that they would not be guilty of sin if he had not come? He is not intending to say that man is not guilty of sin at all. What Jesus means is that if he had not come, the world would not be guilty of the sin of rejecting the Messiah. But there was plenty of sin to be guilty of before Jesus came. Right, Romans reminds us, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.21 then continues and saying, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Now, forbearance does not mean innocence. The only way that a person can be considered innocent and blameless of their sins is by having those sins paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even though this is what Christ offers to the world, he is still hated by the world. And his followers should not expect a better treatment. But even if we should suffer, we have with us the Holy Spirit witness. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, whom proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the truth. Oh, this Holy Spirit is truth that is giving to Christ's followers to remind them of the truth, to confirm in them the truth. And that truth is that, the identity, that, that Jesus is the Son of God who was in the beginning with God and who is God. That truth is the very words of Christ. The Spirit bears witness to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ's words so that we can continue to believe in Him even in the midst of of persecution and being hated by the world. John Calvin gives us a word of encouragement. He says, True, the world will rage against you. Some will mock you. Others will curse your doctrine. But none of their attacks will be so violent as to shake the firmness of your faith when the Holy Spirit shall have been given to you to establish you by his testimony. When the world rages on all sides, our only protection is that the truth of God 
sealed by the Holy Spirit on our hearts, defies all that is in the world. The Holy Spirit is there to encourage the saints, to confirm in them the truth of Christ's words. He's the helper. He is the comforter. So that knowing that we should expect to be treated by the world in a similar manner that Christ was treated, and being armed with the Holy Spirit, the exhortation for us today, the exhortation from the passage is for us to stand firm. Chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus continues and says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Right? Not only will some hate God's people because out of an ignorance for God, but some will even persecute God's people thinking that they are doing a service to God. Right? And that's not so far-fetched, right? You are familiar with an example of that from the Scriptures, namely the Apostle Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul was a persecutor of God's people, Christians, until on the road to Damascus, the Lord intervened and questioned Paul and asked him, why are you persecuting me? Indicating that Jesus has this wonderful and intimate union with Christ's people, that to persecute even one of God's people is to be persecuting Jesus himself. And Paul would later then affirm this very union that we share with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We have this union with Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us that even, even through the Apostle Paul's conversion, that because we have this wonderful union with Christ, and that because we share in the message with Jesus Christ, and because we hold the message of Christ in our hearts and proclaim this message, that we should not be surprised when we are hated by the world. And in order to keep his followers from falling away, he warns us of persecution so that when it does come, we won't be surprised or that we will stumble, or we are so offended in order to turn away from the faith. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. When someone calls you up and says, hey, I'm going to stop by the house in an hour to visit with you, but you make whatever preparations are necessary in order to receive your guest. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Jesus intends to forewarn his church so that when persecution comes, they won't be surprised by it or even be tempted to abandon their faith. First Peter chapter 4 says, his Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It rests upon you. And then later, or earlier, in 1 Peter 1, 
It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Persecution is not evidence of abandonment, but it's a confirmation of your faith. So brothers and sisters, consider yourselves forewarned. And now that you are forearmed, you can be better prepared to stand firm. As the Apostle Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then we have that wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 6, which speaks to us of the armor of God. Again, that same exhortation of standing firm. The Apostle Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If you will heed the words of the apostles, then you will stand firm. And standing firm is not just something we do alone, but standing firm is a community effort. Right? These words from the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul were written not just to these to solitary Christians, but they were written to communities of Christians. The exhortation is that the church would stand firm. And only if we stand together can we have any hope of finishing the race to the very end. And so together we must take up the armor of God. Together we must stand firm. Right, that is why we, not, we need to not neglect the meeting together. That is why we try to be in regular fellowship with one another. Because we need each other. We need the strength that we can provide to one another. We need to lift each other up when the other person is down. We need to be in, in regular community with one another. In small groups, for example. Because we need to stand firm together. Right, when you are suffering or going through a particular challenging, uh, challenging time in your life or challenging season, that is not a time when you need people less. It's a time when you need people more, specifically your Christian brothers and sisters. When you're struggling with a particular temptation, the, the tendency is to be by yourself, to seek solace because nobody can understand what I'm going through, because I will be ashamed, because nobody is familiar with what I'm experiencing right now. But what you need is not less community, but you need more community. Right? You need other people. You need other Christians. You need fellowship. I mean, one of the things that you do when you move to another, another place is you look for a church. You might even do that before you move to a place because you're looking to congregate with a people who love Jesus and follow Jesus. Right? We need Christian community. The prophet Isaiah says in his book in chapter 7, verse 9, that if you are not firm in faith, then you will not be firm at all. 
And we cannot stand firm for very long alone. We have to stand firm together. And so that is why we need each other. And we have the Holy Spirit of God, right, who resides within us, who abides with us and, and, and reminds us of the truth of the gospel so that we may continue to abide in Jesus Christ, so that we may even have joy as we continue to abide in the vine, even as we are hated and persecuted by the world. But even then, we're not abiding in the vine alone. We're abiding with other brothers and sisters. And so may we be a church that abides together with Jesus Christ so that we may stand firm together on the foundation of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit continues to comfort us and help us and remind us of the truths of Christ's words. And might I also add that he does that. He reminds us of those words through one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is a means of grace that you would warn us of persecution and being hated by the world so that we may not be surprised, so that we may not fall away, so that we may not doubt our faith. So we pray, Lord, that you may help us to be a church that stands firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no matter how strong the opposition might be, that we will not be shaken because you are with us and because we are standing firm together. So may we be a church that looks to you that prays to you, that encourages one another, that loves one another well. We thank you for these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and praise the one who paid our debt. And I hear the Savior sing, thy strength indeed is small.
I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus made it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain. White as snow, sin had left. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. stand firm against everything that the enemy throws at us.
fight song. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever. He is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And nothing, and nothing formed against me shall stand. As we reflect upon that truth that Jesus is always by our side, be reminded of what he said to us in John 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, you are dismissed until we return again. Lord willing.